growing up in my house, there were two languages, English and Espanol. And so when it came to watching the news or watching sports, it was usually between me and my dad. It was either in English or in Spanish. Now, my father always has and still does prefer to watch the news in Spanish. And when he watches sports, unless it's tennis, which usually is in English, he loves to watch his football in Espanol. Now, even though I was born in Puerto Rico, English is my first language. So I always preferred the news and or sports in English. Most of my career, there's always been this conversation about, can we find a way, we being the news media, the English-speaking news media, can we find a way to connect with this Hispanic Latino audience? And I think that it is possible. And if you're a news manager or you're an advertiser and you want to understand how to reach that audience, well, okay, I'm going to give you a little hint, though the rest of this conversation today might help you better understand how to, is just remember that, you know, Latinos, Hispanics, Latinx, whatever you want to call them, they are as diverse as any American. I mean, Americans from the East Coast to the West Coast to the Midwest to everywhere in between are all very different. Also, consider their heritage because you have Italian Americans, Polish Americans, Russian Americans, you have all kinds. Same thing with my people. I have to say it that way since I am one of them. But anyway, that's why I wanted to have this conversation because I wanted to talk about this question of how are we going to reach this audience? It's been the question on my mind for many years, still trying to figure out how to do it. How in the world do English-speaking news organizations reach this incredibly fast-growing group known as the Hispanic slash Latino slash Latin X audience. How do you do it? Because, well, this is a group that's growing very quickly. And, you know, according to the census, could become a majority part of the country within the next 30 to 50 years. Well, here's the thing. Unless you provide Spanish speaking programming, then there are going to be a lot of folks you're just not going to win over. But there are a lot of folks you can win over. And again, it's not the language always, but it's the focus. It's the attention that you're giving to this group and how you're talking to this group and what you're saying to this group. I know there's a lot there to unfold and unwrap. And that's why I have this conversation today with Hugo Balta of the Latino News Network. I met Hugo many years ago. He was president twice of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists. And so he's got a very interesting perspective on this. But we talked a lot about understanding what the Hispanic Latino audience is, how the English speaking news media approaches them, how they should approach them, and what are the differences between the English speaking and Spanish speaking news media. And it was a really interesting conversation. But of course, we started with how he got into this business in the first place. And it all came down to what? Ugo and his father were watching in the household and in what language. My parents made it a point that I be bilingual, bicultural, and 
there was a moment I remember, you know, children don't want to be different. You know, I wanted to be like everybody else. And I remember complaining to my mother about um, some bullying that was happening uh, because of how you pronounce my name, Hugo, not Hugo. And the fact that I spoke a different language, that we ate different foods. And um, at that moment, my mother, you know, God bless her, was very patient with me. And she said, you know, you, that's not something bad. It's something good. You're, you know, you're special. You can speak in two languages. You can live literally in two different worlds, two different countries. And that, uh, um, that you know, she, she framed it as a, as a superpower. And that really helped me embrace um, what I thought was a negative, being different. And because of both of them, ensuring that I be proud of certainly being an American and what that represents, but also being proud of my Peruvian roots, that helped me um, uh, 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 aggressively approach a, a life of being bilingual, bicultural, which then afforded me the opportunity to start my career in Spanish language media in Telemundo, New York. Did you think early on in your career, uh, you know, those first, I think those first couple of jobs, right, you were in, in Spanish media, did you think that was just going to be the path or were you thinking even back then, at some point, I want to cross over? And I don't just mean that you would go over to English speaking, uh, you know, media, but that somehow you'd find a way to bring the two together, which is ultimately what you're doing now. But I mean, when did you, when did that hit your mind when you started thinking about that? You know, I, I'm also the product of many selfless people, many mentors and sponsors. And I remember meeting my first mentor in Telemundo and he telling me, hey, you're doing great work. You're doing important work. But then he started to talk to me about the need for more representation of Hispanic Latinos in English language media, where um, certainly in the early 90s, uh, and even now, if, if you look at statistics, were absent. And he said, you're doing great work, but you could be doing uh, more important work in areas where um, there aren't people like you or me that have the ability to be able to work in both uh, languages. And certainly in English language media, again, there's a, there's a greater need for that. So that started my path and my 14-year career with NBC Universal, ultimately, uh, NBC or then parent company General Electric in 2002 purchased Telemundo, which then afforded me the opportunity to be a sort of bridge builder between these two countries that were separated culturally uh, from a business perspective, a language perspective, and so on and so forth. And that uh, then afforded me the opportunity to work across many different markets, um, and not only with journalists, but also with many decision makers. So um, some of it, uh, again, the listening to people with more experience, people who care about you, mentors, sponsors. Um, some of it is also maturing and making sure that you're purposeful in what you're looking to achieve personally, and then drawing from the opportunities that are presented to you. I could not have foreseen that General Electric, company of, you know, the owner of NBC would purchase Telemundo, but I certainly seized the moment and 
and um, leverage the opportunity afforded to me to work in a capacity that seldom people get an opportunity to do so. I wondered in, in all your years in, in this in this business, what have you seen when it comes to seeing more of those and hearing more of those Latin voices? I mean, I, I mean, I remember, yeah, coming up in the, the mid 90s, late 90s, there weren't a lot. I'm seeing more, but I don't know. What have you seen? Has I mean, it's got to have gotten better, but where are we right now? You know, in certain aspects, we are no better now than we were when I started out 30 years ago. And in some ways, we are. And that is all driven by technology. I mean, right now, we're having a conversation, uh, a program that you're producing because of the ex- access to technology and how affordable technology has become, right? We, um, as, as someone who is a life long member of the National Association of Hispanic Journalists, and I've certainly had the opportunity to serve as its uh, its president twice. I'll tell you, um, part of the, the work of that organization and others that represent marginalized communities is to continuously advocate um, for a seat at the table. But because of technology, um, we no longer have to just continue to ask for a seat at the table, we can create our own tables. And that's exactly what you're doing. It's exactly what I do as an independent journalist. And so we're seeing more of of ourselves, our community than before because of social media, because of the digital platform. But statistically speaking, even though there are more of us in this space, we are certainly still a minority in, in a corporate uh, commercial media, uh, and even in digital media, we're still, statistically speaking, when you compare the makeup of the population of those newsrooms versus the, the makeup of the population of whether it's local or national that they're looking to serve, we're still very much uh, behind the eight ball. So when you look at, let's let's take a look at the national media. Um, when you look at, and any you know, form, format, whether it's print or radio or television, whatever it is, what do they get wrong about the the Latin population uh, in this country? What do they get right? Hmm. It's an excellent question. The first thing that they get wrong is that we're a monolithic group. You know, we are very diverse. There's, I always tell people, you can walk from New York City to Los Angeles and come across many different uh, people that fa- uh, fall under the umbrella of being Hispanic or Latino. And they're gonna be all very different, right? A uh, Hispanic Latino in New York, which is largely Caribbean, led by the Puerto Rican community, is very different than a Hispanic Latino in the West Coast, in Southern California, that, it, that is predominantly Mexican or Mexican American. And so you have more than 20 countries that have uh, a, a similar language, Spanish, and so also a similar history, but there are cultural nuances between Puerto Ricans, Caribbeans versus Peruvians, Venezuelans, Argentinians, so on and so forth. Understanding those nuances, those differences, enable a storyteller, a journalist, a newsroom to be able to produce stories that are much more authentic to the communities that they serve, 
to try to produce a story as if as if it's a one size fits all and is relevant to again a Hispanic Latino in New York as the same as a Hispanic Latino in in the state of California is arrogance and ignorance. Now, what they get right? Well, I think more and more, and especially in the last two years under COVID and and what we've seen with the exacerbation of those disparities in regards to um, uh, education, housing, certainly healthcare, um, and then, of course, the conversations of systemic racism stemming from the killing of, of George Floyd, led by the, the Black community, but also talking about different areas in, in our society that suffer through the same types of discrimination. And then, of course, the divisiveness of the general election, a 2020 general election, and four years under Donald Trump. I think what, what they get better now versus then is an understanding that when they were they were covering the Hispanic Latino community, it was very superficial, very uh, one dimensional, and scratching the surface. And I'll give you an example: the coverage of immigration is much more complex than people crossing the southern border, understanding the dynamics of undocumented immigrants in the United States and that many of them actually came to the United States legally, but because of a myriad of reasons, including bureaucracy, uh, are now undocumented, is much more profound and, and, uh, and a story that is seldom done because what's easier it's the, is, is those na- negative narratives of a group of people crossing the border. We're talking with Hugo Balta, owner and operator of the Latino News Network. He's based out of Chicago. There is a link to his network and some of his work on the site, thereporterstudio.com. Don't forget that you could watch the interview with me and Hugo on the YouTube channel. Just look up The Reporter Studio. You're listening to this podcast somewhere. You can listen to it in a number of different platforms, from iTunes to Spotify, Google Podcast, Amazon Music, also Podbean. And please, if you're listening on any of those, push the subscribe button and don't forget to rate and review. I really would appreciate that. Let's get back to our conversation with Hugo Balta. He's got some interesting ideas on how the news media used to and is trying to improve when they reach out to the Hispanic Latino audience. I think one of the things I found, and I wondered your take on this, is... The other thing, too, is that the the Latin audience is looking for more positive stories as well. I don't know, in, in your experience, and again, because you're trying to reach multiple audiences, if if you have a bunch of executives sitting around you right now, and I'm sure you've, you've had that, what do you tell them about how, you know, what you need to be doing to, you know, win over this audience and gain their respect I think that's the most important because if they respect you, they're going to, they're going to become loyal. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, the, the first thing I show them is the Latino news network, which I uh, am very grateful to have taken over in 2019. And the Latino news network is made up of five independent statewide coverage, Hispanic, Latino editorial focus, news and information websites, 
uh, four in, in New England and one uh, in the Midwest. And the foundation of the Latino News Network is based on four principles. It's one, to elevate the visibility and voices of the Hispanic Latino community. The second is to amplify the work of others. And certainly we have many partners in media, the work of others in, the, in this space. The third is to provide uh, mentoring and, and real work uh, experiences for young journalists. Many journalists, Latinos, journalists of color, um, students are not getting the mentoring and guidance that they need in order to be successful, not only in the newsroom, but uh, in, in, the, in the real world. And then fourth, it's solutions journalism. It is easy to point to problems, uh, but it's much more difficult and studies have found much more profound and interesting to all audiences when you start to lend your platform uh, to discuss the solutions to the ills that we have in our society. Now, that's the long game. What we have in mass media, certainly in um, legacy media, is the short game. They're looking, you know, to to hit a home run every time they go at bat. But that's that is a, a short-sighted approach to success. When you think about the long game, and to use a baseball analogy, and you're looking to get to base, you're looking to you know get a couple of singles and doubles. Over the long haul, you're going to be successful. This isn't an industry um, where someone should look to get on the fast track to success. This is one that you need to build trust with the community. And in building trust with them, it's about being transparent and how you you uh, you you storytell from concept to execution. But it's also one that celebrates the wins as as much as they point to the challenges. And if you're pointing to the challenges, you must integrate into that narrative, what are the solutions, which is a conversation that then integrates and is inclusive of a larger group and not just the ones that you're talking about. So if you're going to talk about gun violence here in Chicago and point to, say, a shooting on the south side of Chicago, where it's predominantly black and brown communities, and you're not talking about what the solutions are, then you're creating a narrative that all of the crime in Chicago is happening in one area, and the problems can be attributed to the people who live there. When, if you take the time to really unpack those those issues, you realize that what, what those communities are living through is part of of systemic racism that over decades and decades have have put them in a situation where they're they're desperate and in crisis and the solutions to those problems are going to take, if not as much as it took to create them, even more so. First of all, I appreciate you getting the uh, sports metaphor in there. That's always a good thing. I love that. Um, (laughs) With the baseball, especially baseball. You know, I, I think back to something you said at the beginning. And I think about how I grew up as well. And so, you know, coming to this country when I was very young, I remember, you know, my father would, you know, come home from work, have dinner, we'd have dinner, and then he'd sit down, watch the news. He watched Spanish news first. It was the most important thing because he wanted to see what was, he's Colombian, so he wanted to see what's going back in South America, what's happening at home. Um, And then he would watch the American news, the English-speaking news. 
And throughout his life, he's been that. I mean, he's been doing both. I wondered, you know, from what you've seen, your experience and the data you've collected over the years is when you're talking about this audience, and especially if they're new to the country, and Spanish may still be their predominant language, are they just looking for the Spanish news, as you said also, to stay connected to home? Or are they trying to move over to English news, English-speaking news, um, even though it's not going to give them always that connection back to home? We don't do enough stories about what's going on in, in, in their home country. What what do these audience? What have you seen in these audiences? What are they looking for exactly? You know, it's it's very subjective, and I'll use my parents as an example. Both my parents have been in, in this country, uh, obviously longer than I have been in this planet, right? More than fifty years. And when you look at my father, he's fully bilingual. He's someone that gravitates to media, both in English and Spanish, and he's going to English media. Um, for certain types of news, uh, whether you know, lo primarily local news, what's happening in in our our neighborhoods and in in the state that he lives in, etc. And then he's gravitating to Spanish language media uh, for a different take, right? From the perspective of of a a Hispanic Latino that is foreign born, which is a, a lot of the focus that Spanish language media, regardless of, of the platform focuses on. And that's very important. And then of course, there's the connection to back home. Um, not that all the time there's news from Peru and usually when it does penetrate, it's either politics or perhaps a natural disaster or a sporting event. Um, but then you have my mother who's still um, predominantly Spanish dominant and rarely uh, consumes any media in English. And that's more about her comfort zone and what she's looking for and what her needs are as, as a Spanish dominant speaking uh, naturalized citizen. Now, some of it is also um, based on, I don't see myself, right? Does my father consume more English language news than Spanish language? No. Um, I think Part of that has to do with the fact that when he does see himself, it's always in a negative light. It's never about his experience. A, a hardworking uh, immigrant born Hispanic Latino, another naturalized citizen who's a small business owner. Um, he didn't start that way, but that's how he retired. That's not what you usually see in English language media. Often it's a negative narrative and it's often a caricature of who they are. So one, it's really about their preference. And secondly, it's a lack of reflection and inclusion in English language media. Thanks again for listening to the podcast, The Reporter Studio. I'm your host, Luis Hernandez. Today, again, we're talking with Hugo Balta, owner and operator of the Latino News Network. You can watch a video of this interview, by the way, on the YouTube channel, The Reporter Studio. So how do English language media companies reach this audience? Can they? Ugo makes a few interesting points about being where they are and of course not talking down to people, but that's how journalists should be treating their audience with respect on the same level. By the way, he's got some interesting points coming up. He's gonna be talking about one of the big differences between English and Spanish media when it comes to the treatment of women 
But first, I just want to remind you that you're listening to The Reporter Studio, a production from City of Dreams Media Incorporated. And I want to tell you about another podcast coming out soon from the same group. It's called Planet Earth 2072. It'll be out later in June. Here's a little taste. We're very concerned because we don't see any restraining force on continued increase in temperature. It's still increasing. We're still getting more heat trapped into the oceans and sea No doubt about it. We're living in a warmer world. We're living in a melting world. As the polar ice melts, sea levels are going to rise and a lot of... What will Miami look like in 50 years? That's the question that's posed in the podcast, Planet Earth 2072. Because as we move further into the future, things are gonna become more uncertain. I think they should be pretty ticked off. I mean, really, and they are. And once they understand it, they realize they can prepare in whatever field they want. Is Miami is compromised. There's a small population still living here on the high ground, on the ridges. We spoke with scientists and researchers, climate activists, and also Gen Zers. Set in stone, we're going to see two to three feet of sea level rise from the damage that we've already done, and I don't think we're prepared for it like we think we are. But it's not really individuals who need to wake up, it's politicians and corporations who need to wake up because politicians and corporations are contributing the most to this, uh, to climate. And I feel like more kids are gonna join the movement and more adults are also realizing the importance of it. And I think that, you know, maybe it's like 2050, but I feel that- every- Many of us won't be alive to see the day, but the youngest generation, Gen Z, they will. What sort of world awaits them? Tune in to Planet Earth 2072, coming out later this spring. That is Planet Earth 2072. You can learn more about it at planetearth2072.com or on the Planet Earth 2072 page on Facebook. All right, let's get back to our conversation with Ugo Balta and hear what he has to say about the way journalists can better explain themselves and their work to the public. How about also when it comes to the, the faces and the voices that they see and hear? Is it important for them to see, you know, someone like them? Is it important to see a Latino doing the news or in English? Or is that not important? I think it's important. Look, I think studies have shown that um, you want you, you want to see yourself in the media that you consume, whether it's news, whether it's uh, television, uh, movies, what have you, right? You, you want to see yourself. And so that that's very important, but it's not necessarily having a starring role. You know, we are a community like so many other immigrant communities that are not necessarily looking for the spotlight, but we want to be included in the conversation. You know, how often, and I'm sure you've had a similar uh, experience, how often do Hispanic Latinos, regardless of their proficiency in Spanish, whether you can speak it fluently or you know a couple of words, when you enter a room and you see people clustered in four corners and you go to one group, if they're speaking in Spanish, if you can speak in Spanish, you don't want to be disruptive. You're going to 
Spanish language and be part of that conversation. If you walk to another corner and they're speaking English, you're going to be speaking in English. Again, it's about wanting to be part of the conversation, not having the spotlight or being disruptive. So yes, it's very important to see yourself presenting the news, reporting the news, because it's a reflection of the people that you know. But more importantly, it's having the Hispanic Latinos behind the scenes, the producers, the executive producers, the news directors, people that have larger influence and what stories are selected, the focus of those stories, and who gets to, which are the voices that are used to tell those stories. Those are the the positions where we're certainly lacking representation as well, but have the resources and influence to um, provide uh, stories that are much more authentic and reflective and inclusive of our communities and other marginalized communities. I wanted to get your your uh, sense on this. You know, this is an interesting story that we've seen full unfold here in in Miami. Is you have a very large Latin media, you know, uh, group, actually numerous groups, and so there's radio and television, so much available. And I wondered, is there a difference? between how they typically do the news in Spanish-speaking countries compared to the U.S., predominantly English-speaking programs? Is there a difference in style? Is there a difference in tone, whatever? Because I wondered, somebody said this to me, and I, I, I don't watch enough to be able to say that, but they said, you know, it seems like this Spanish program, it's so sensationalized. American TV could also be sensationalized too. So, but I don't, is there a difference in tone and style, the way they present the news in the two languages? I, I, I think the, the quick answer is yes. Right. So I think there's certainly a difference um, in general between some of the, the, the storytelling in local news versus national news, both in English and Spanish, but to dif- differentiate Spanish language and English language as an example. And there are many different examples. Um, I will, I would say, and it's changing slowly, but one of the biggest um, uh, faults that I give Spanish language local news is the exploitation of women um, in, in news. And so often, again, it's changing, but I remember coming up Um, If you wanted to be, uh, if you were a woman and you wanted to break into the business, broadcast news locally, they would look for you to start in weather and they would sex it up, Um, you know, from the way they use their hair to the the clothing that they wore, um, really putting women in positions that were very uncomfortable uh, and certainly... um, exploited them. Now, another difference is uh, that often comes up is advocacy journalism. Oh, you know, Spanish language news is advocating for um, uh, their pro-immigration, their, their, their pro-immigrant, etc. And Jorge Ramos from Univision is often um, criticized by, uh, by English language media and, and people who follow media for doing that. The same happened in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd, where African-American journalists were criticized for uh, not being objective in their coverage of the protests and some of the um, 
civic unrest that happened afterwards. That is um, a, a point of view based on privilege and from someone that doesn't understand the uh, black experience in the United States. What those journalists were doing and what Jorge Ramos and other Hispanic Latinos are doing is they're being very transparent about their experience in wearing those shoes and they're providing audiences a uh, reporting that is seldom seen, that is transparent and authentic and based on, on their uh, courage of really sharing that aspect of their lives. We need to see more of that in journalism and especially in English language that often hides behind objectivity, which objectivity, of course, I don't subscribe to, is created on the false pretense that there's only two sides to a story and there's a balance between reporting. When objectivity is written by news managers that are overwhelmingly not um, reflective and inclusive of the communities that they serve. What I'm trying to say is I'm not going to subscribe to uh, a, a news manager's uh, objectivity when that wasn't written with me in mind, meaning uh, a, a Hispanic Latino, a marginalized member of the community. I subscribe to transparency, which um, allows me to tell the audience every step of the way, the news gathering process, and they could be critical about that process, but they they will appreciate, and more often than not, studies show, trust that type of reporting. And that's what we see in Spanish language media, and that's what we see with the African-American community in their coverage of the aftermath of George Floyd. Uh, I, I agree with you completely. I know, I mean, just from, uh, you know, a lot, and black reporters that I've known, um, you know, over these last four years and seeing how they have done their job. And, and they've explained to me so much of what you're saying, which is how can you not? One of the things that actually and I would remind, we all do it. We're human beings. Remember 9-11. Tell me how many, I mean, the real anchors, reporters, you tell me you weren't emotional when you saw that. You tell me you were objective. We all were affected, but you were affected. We saw it on TV. Go back, I would say even further, Edward R. Murrow, the man that we all look to as, as, as a hero in this business, stood up to bullies on, in Congress. There was no objectivity. It's like, we got to defend what America stands for, and we can't allow this to happen. Um, let me finish with this. Uh, and I, I appreciate you bringing up obj objectivity and giving us your, your ideas of it. English or Spanish, doesn't matter. What do we need to do as, as journalists? Because we've been attacked a lot lately. That's not new. I just think it's gotten worse, but it's not new. What are we doing that we're not getting the message across to people about who we are and what we're really here to do? Look, I, I think some of that um, I've mentioned in describing transparency and the importance of uh, building trust with the audiences that you serve by uh being in uh, uh, transparent about the whole process. Um, there's two thoughts on that. The first, the, to, to add to, tra to transparency. The first is as a um, philosophy, journalism, newsrooms, regardless of language, operate from a top-down approach. We're the journalists, we're more educated than you, 
we will tell you what you need to know. Top down. We have to flip that. We have to have a bottom-up approach. We need to spend time listening to the communities that we serve, going to where they live, and being inclusive of them in the uh, news gathering process. They need to be a part of how we shape the process from conceptualizing ideas to the focus, to approving those ideas, to the focus of the stories, to who gets to tell those stories. In doing so and being transparent in that process, that builds trust and that chips away at this notion that we've created um, and, and that legacy media has created of the elitist um, journalists. And then the last thing is we have to be unapologetic of our constitutional responsibility. Journalism is the only industry that is protected by the Constitution. It is our responsibility to hold the powerful accountable, to give voice to the voiceless, and to empower the public to, um, to, make, to act, to make better decisions. I have no apologies in my pursuit of the truth. I don't care where the truth ends, whether it's positive or negative to a person or an organization. It is my job to um, speak truth to power. And if that makes people uncomfortable, especially um, the, the C-suite that is overwhelmingly white male, then so be it. I didn't get, uh, I didn't become a journalist to make friends or to become popular. I became a journalist to up, uphold um, our distant, our constitutional duty of those three principles. And I will remind people, this is a lonely job sometimes because we're not popular. <laughs> that goes with the game. Hugo, I appreciate everything. As always, man, I really do. And, and continued to everything that you're doing, man. Continued success. Um, I got to have you back. There's so much to talk about. I really do appreciate it, though. Thank you, Luis. I really enjoyed talking to you, and thank you for the invitation. You've been listening to our conversation with Ugo Balta, owner and operator of the Latino News Network. Learn more about him and his network on the site, thereporterstudio.com. And remember, wherever you're listening to us, please subscribe and then rate and review. It really would help. And by the way, you can find us on a number of different platforms, from iTunes to Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, also Podbean. And we do have videos of these interviews on YouTube. Just look up The Reporter Studio. Well, coming up next week on the show. We are there on their worst day or their best day. They don't know us. They don't think of us as humans. So when there's a lot of anger, like after a murder or something in a neighborhood. I used to cover a lot of crime, especially in New Orleans. That anger has to be directed. And you come over there and you disrupt the environment just by your presence. And then all of a sudden, the family who just lost a loved one is all of a sudden really mad at you. I introduce you to Sandra Gonzalez. She's an associate producer at Spectrum Network's broadcast in Austin, Texas. I've got a link to her page and her work on the site. Remember, follow me on Twitter at News Media Host or again on YouTube at The Reporter Studio. You can find us on all kinds of platforms. Again, just look up The Reporter Studio. And if you do, wherever you listen, 
please subscribe, rate, and review. I really do appreciate it. And don't forget, I want to hear from you. Share your questions, your thoughts. Whether you've got questions about what journalists do, how we make the news, maybe you're not a fan of the news media. That's all right, too. I want to hear from you. Ask away any question, because I want to help you better understand who we are. Thanks again for listening. I'm Luis Hernandez. We'll talk again soon.